this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unapologetically Bold I'm Not Sorry For. And I'm blessed today to have my friend here, Harry. Welcome, Harry. It's great to be here, Emily. What is the good word? (laughs) Yes. I am so pumped for this conversation for people to get to learn more about you and also get to have a fun and real conversation between two people um, about something that I think is important. So let's get into it, Harry. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, uh, where do I begin, Emily? I'm going to keep this less than four hours, I promise. <laughs> the uh, you know the thing about what I do is it's all about helping people. So uh, I started out really just doing mission work uh, in my early 20s and in my mid-30s, uh, I got into sales because I really only knew how to speak with people and I was a pretty good listener and that started my sales career. And from there, I've just really blossomed into sales leadership, which is all about helping teams. So that's Mm -hmm. really my passion is helping others. So somehow along the way, uh, my background being in the mission work, um, people have once or twice said, Harry, you are too nice. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to put on this alter ego, which I never was comfortable with. So when you came across, uh, when we came across paths here and you said, well, you're not sorry for being too nice. We got to talk about that. I said, okay, I think I can talk about that. So and that's, that's, what I that's love. me in a nutshell. Yes. And, I, and let's, let's grab and just go on and dive into it being so you're not sorry for being too nice, which at exactly. first, <laughs> Is like something where you were like, oh, why, why do you need to be sorry? But in the game of sales, <laughs> exact, it, it's very typically known as being cutthroat. Right. Yeah. So talk about that for a minute on why you're not sorry for being too nice. Yeah. So uh, it really stemmed from when I first started interviewing for sales jobs, people found mm-hmm. out that I was a minister and so i wouldn't (laughs) be able to tolerate bad language in Mm -hmm. the sales bullpen um so i i changed right (laughs) i started using bad language myself because i had to blend in Mm -hmm. Uh, second thing was uh, when i got into sales leadership or i wanted to get into sales leadership um the president of the company I worked for said, no, Harry won't make it. He's just too nice. You need someone really to step on someone's throat uh, and be nasty when they need to be nasty. Mm-hmm. So when I got the job the first time to be in sales leadership, I had this alter ego. And I remember distinctly to this day, and we're talking 15, almost 20 years later, a uh, person, a rep, 
who worked with me knew me before I was a manager and mm -hmm. then knew me when I was a manager. She said, you know what? I liked you more when you were a sales rep and mm -hmm. that cut me, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I, I thought I was the same person, but I was, I became a jerk because mm -hmm. I had to be, you know, a little, a little nastier. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and I don't recommend that. I learned my lesson. That's not good. And I think there's a fine line too, where, where we say nice and what I, I usually mean, because that's the, that's the proverbial word that most people say is that you're too nice, but it's also nice and kind are two different words. And I feel like that's really where you were is nice sometimes feels like a pushover or you can't, but kindness is where you're still honest. Kindness is next to whatever I, and also here it is knowing you that I do, it's love that you were okay to show people that you were honest, but you're going to be patient with them. You're going to not scream and yell. So whenever you had to be that total reverse, especially coming from the side of ministry, how did that make you feel? Yeah. So, uh, it, it was tough and I, I appreciate you distinguishing between nice and kind because kind does mean, uh, to tell the person that they've got stuff in their teeth, right? Uh, mm -hmm. you've got the spinach in your teeth, mm -hmm. um, and you're doing them a good deed. The, and do I have spinach in my teeth, by the way? No, no, uh, no. I think I'm good. I think I'm good right now. I double checked. Um, so where was I before that? But, you know, so it was, it was really a challenge and right. And I'll honestly say that I did not fit in with the culture of the sales bullpen because mm -hmm. people, I mean, some of my fellow managers were screamers, mm -hmm. so they would scream at reps. And I'm like, is that, is that the way I'm supposed to be? So I adopted that, believe it or not. And it just, it wasn't me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was not sleeping. I said, you know, let me just go back into sales. So that was my first go around into sales leadership. But then I came back into it because I knew I was good at it. I just had to do things in the Harry Spate fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Which was, you know, be the nice guy, be fun, loving, pat people on the back, you know, not scold and verbally abuse people. But, you know, just to have conversations with my team, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and if someone was having a bad month, I wasn't going to berate them in front of others. That was just, then that's what people were doing. And it's just nonsensical. I mean, have you ever experienced anything like that? Oh, yes, I have. Um, it makes me think of a time whenever I was in a meeting with a group, with the HR group, and one of the people just started berating me over something that, was just nonsense. And then another person, and it was almost like these bullies, they all like swarmed on top and because yeah. they saw their chance. Wow. And it was just so interesting at that time. And I told them during that meeting, because I, I'm not a very an emo emotional person, but that I got, I cheered up. I'm like, sure. Why? You're ganged up on, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it took me by surprise. I'm like, why did you not tell me this three months ago? Oh. Why didn't Privately. you say that again? Yeah. And like, and one-on-one, why did you right. wait? Yeah. It was almost in, in the total, it's almost six months later after it had already, things have already been done, that you're just now going to bring this to my attention. And I think that's important to what you were talking about earlier is about doing things 
based on what you saw. And so there was one ringleader. And then there were two people that just did what their boss did. Yeah. And they did what they saw. And I actually had a conversation with somebody the other day. And I think this is something I want to talk to you about is basically the conversation is goes around that whenever you get into leadership, you have to be stoic. You have to be like this hero sized person that you can't show your vulnerabilities because it may hurt you to get to the next level or it, you can't, you have to be the certain person because that's how everybody else has been. And that's how they got up the ladder. And what I hear on yours is yours is the first time one, you, you realized, Hey, this is not good for my health, but two, I can't do it this way. I don't want to do it this way. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, that's such a fascinating uh, topic on the types of leadership styles so, uh, and uh, that there's a great book um, that really opened up my eyes because I thought there was a few leadership styles. I didn't realize there were so many and how oh, people yeah. can evolve along the way. But what you're describing frequently is the authoritarian style mm -hmm. leader, right? It's, oh, yeah. They have no emotion. It, we do things my way around here. You don't question the boss. If you do, then the boss is going to face that as a challenge or view it as a challenge. And I just never liked those types of people, mm -mm. right? So I was, you know, coming from that background where I was serving others, I thought, you know, doing it my way, I don't care if I get promoted. Yeah. Right? It's just before I felt like I had to act a certain way and that really wasn't me. I, you know, when people, when you walked in the room, no smiles, I mean, I'm walking in the room, I'm cracking jokes, right? I'm cutting uh -huh. up, right? I'm having fun and I'm saying things like, what's the good word, right? <laughs> I enjoy life, right? And you don't see that in an executive mm -hmm. level meeting typically. So I like to change the game and there's a, there's a spot for me, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some organizations, they're going to go with the authoritarian style and then others are going to say, you know, we want the servant guy. Right. We want the people that serving others and helping people because uh, that's our culture. And so that's where I fit in with those types of cultures. I'm, and you, too. Right. I mean, are you the type of person that if I mean, I know you're not looking for a job, but say you <laughs> were looking for a job and you have this responsibility. I can tell right away. I mean, you started with prayer mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, you're humble. And humility and leadership, that's, they really should be uh, synonymous. I mean, mm -hmm. they should be working together. Humility, when you're in leadership, you recognize your own flaws, right? And when you recognize your own flaws, then you can really help others. And, you know, so one of the, and ask, I'm going to ask you this. When you see a leader that says, hey, you go do this. You go and you go do it, right? And I'm here if you need me. Mm -hmm. Versus the leader says, let's go do this together, mm -hmm. right? Who yep. would you rather be with? I like the one that will let me do it, like together, you know? Yeah. Relationship. And, and why is that? I love relationships. That's yeah. my thing. Um, and in building and growing with one another community. Yeah, and, and especially if you like when that person then gives you the credit <laughs> that you did everything even better, right? 
Mm. Right. When a leader who has helped you doesn't say we, but uses she and he did it, then those people will, in my opinion, run through a wall of fire for you. Is that and they will. And that's yeah. what I've seen with my teams uh, or my, my team specifically. There's like I always talk about how one of my teammates, her name's Bonnie. She's been on the show as well. Like she keeps me sane. And I always say if it was not for her, half the stuff wouldn't be as good as it is. Or John yeah. or Emily or Dominique, like any of them. Like I am nowhere. You've got an email from me. And I don't know if you read the comment below it, but what it says is the kiss of death is to be the genius with 10,000 helpers instead of be the genius with 10,000 geniuses. And that's truly what yeah. I believe I have is those geniuses. But here's the thing. I didn't realize this until I went through hell and high water. <laughs> and I had a leader who was more of a boss. Yeah. Told you what to do. Sure. Directed you. And then, jokingly because it was a joke he took all the credit oh yeah that's great and i'm just like <laughs> that brings up that builds up tons of loyalty doesn't it i was like i know you're joking and he's like haha just a joke and i'm like but you didn't say who did it you know right. like you get and, I, and those were the things that i found for me that were very frustrating at times because great person but in the end I, and I, that's the thing too is he he was a very nice human but whenever it came to work, it was a different switch in that. And I think that's what I want to talk about, too, in leadership. There's right. a difference between it being a nice human just in general and a nice and kind and loving leader. Because you can have nice people and you usually can keep your job a lot longer, what I found. But you might not get some results if you don't have the leadership side of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so two things. One, just going back to the person that is joking. There's always, I mean, ask any comic, right? Uh, there's always a measure of truth. There's mm -hmm. some measure of truth in the joke. It comes from somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have egos and it is so hard to let go of the ego. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm not a kid anymore. I still struggle with the ego. Right. When I know I have done something that really made a situation a whole lot better, do I want to take credit for it? Absolutely. Do I want to <laughs> pat on the back once in a while? Of course I do. Mm -hmm. But it's the better reward is to give it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Right. Let them get it. I mean, I, I heard uh, one bright guy uh, once uh, and I read it somewhere. He says that uh, there's greater happiness in giving than in receiving. I think mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if that's familiar to you, but uh, right. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you see someone maybe with their kids and their kids are jumping all over the place? Maybe they're in someone else's home and the parents are just completely oblivious and the kids are uh, using uh, the master bedroom as a trampoline. <laughs> right. And so you look at the parents and you say, well, they're so nice. They're not saying anything, but you know, they probably should say something, right? The mm -hmm. people in the home should probably say, yes, we're nice people, but you shouldn't use our bed as a trampoline for your eight-year-old, right? Exactly. That would be the thing to do. And when you see something like that, you say, you need to say something, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's awkward. 
that people are so nice that they don't say something. You feel like you need to say it for them. And sometimes you do. Right. So that's a simple example. But you, you get the idea. Right. Or it, it could happen in a restaurant, whatever. Well, in le- leadership, I've seen it where people are complete pushovers. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a real danger. Let's be honest. So the idea of when someone lies, started lying to me, and I can think of a sales rep who would lie all the time. And I just, I kept believing him. And I said, okay, so that was a lie. And so he started counting the lies and he said, you know what? This person now has a history of lying to me. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped believing anything he said. I stopped believing, right? So he made his own bed, so to speak. And so, yes, I was the nice guy. He took advantage of me for a while, right? Mm-hmm. But that limit, when it reached the limit, I then said, you know, what? I don't believe you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then one day he called and he said, I'm uh, late for work because my car broke down here on the highway and I'm calling a tow truck. And I said, you know what? Bring me the receipt from the tow truck. And then he said, you know what? I just, I'm going to quit. <laughs> So he quit on the spot because, you know, the lying shenanigans were over and he was, Mm -hmm. you know, I called him out on it. So if I was a nice guy, I could have just put up with that for who knows how much longer. And I wasn't doing anyone any favors. So that to me is a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You can be nice, but just don't be taken, don't be taken advantage of. And I think that's very important because I see specifically I see some of my loved ones that are also not only just in leadership but also in life that it's almost more of a people pleasing aspect and then they don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations because they don't want to upset somebody and it makes me think of a time right whenever I had to tell my son that and this is I would say pretty dramatic that this is a definitely a difficult conversation. It really okay. was one of the hardest. And whenever I had to tell my son that he was adopted. Yeah. And so he was five years old. And I just remember I'd cried and cried for years. Like even before he was like born, like even being pregnant, I'm like, I'm going to have to tell him, you know, like that his dad is not actually his dad, you know, mm-hmm. how are you going to take this? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I just, I can't. Yeah. And then I finally, I finally got up enough. I'm going to tell him because, and I, and you know what he said? He goes, Oh mama, I guess that's the reason why I'm white, white, not white, dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he dealt with it a whole lot better than you dealt with it. Right. Exactly. But that's the thing is nice people. Sometimes I feel like we make these stories in our head that are so far off and so far back. Because maybe we might have experienced a hard conversation that went, somebody just did bad, or it was a conversation that just went south really quick. And those come to mind and and you feel like that's going to be resurfaced, you know, and it's not. And so like even asking the guy for a receipt, it it makes me think of that trust, but verify, you know? Yeah, exactly. Kind of aspect. Absolutely. And that's, I don't know if I got it from that, but I'm a huge believer in the trust, but verify line. Um, So the the idea of what you said about your son, I mean, you don't want to disappoint people, Mm -mm. right? You don't want to let people down. So people like us who don't 
want to let people down, have a hard time with those crucial conversations, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you got to have them. um, And if you ignore it, time goes by and what happens? Mm. It gets worse, right? It does. Yeah. And then it's, it's, why didn't you tell me sooner? Then you have that conversation. Yep. <laughs> sort of like what you're saying was, I find interesting when the earlier conversation, when you're in the uh, conference room and, you know, everyone was ganging up on you, mm-hmm. maybe something was triggered and person felt more comfortable because someone said something and then they jumped on you mm-hmm. because now it was a safe tree for them. Not for mm-hmm. you, right? But for them. Yep. And so that's when they started piling on. But really, good leadership, um, someone would have pulled you aside and had the difficult conversation. And it probably wasn't that difficult for most people, but some people just can't deal with it. They're, and that's where nice is not always good, right? It's mm-hmm. you've got to be kind, right? And I love, and I'm getting that from you. I'm plagiarizing you. <laughs> Because no, that's great wisdom. But I think it's true. It's it's the there's a, a big difference in it, and also, but the what we usually hear is a nice guy, and what I've heard in the in the past is nice guys finish last. Yeah. And so I think that's important to say and talk about how being nice, how spending time with people, what how seeing them as humans actually doesn't end you in last place. Typically, it puts you in the front of the line. So I want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so uh, I love it. I mean, because that is just the old adage, nice guys finish last is, I mean, it was written by the mafia. I mean, I don't know who came up coined that <laughs> phrase, but uh, it's not true. Um, and I can say that I, I, I'm very competitive, right? Mm. I'm nice, kind, and I think m- my family would agree with those statements. I'm not just saying that because I want to you know, fake myself out, but I'm, I'm competitive. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that I don't know what drives the competition. I, when I was an athlete, um, and I use the term very loosely, but I, I did play uh, at the high school golf team. And I grew up playing hockey. I was competitive, but I wasn't mm-hmm. like I had to win. I wasn't that guy, but I wanted to be successful. And so when I, when in business, uh, and it's, we all have egos, right? So mm-hmm. in business, when once there was competition on the line for between sales teams, I looked at others and I'd say, well, they're not any better than my team, mm-hmm. right? And my team, we have camaraderie and we get along and we're treating people well. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive this to be the top team, right? Mm-hmm. So we started talking about, it's like, why can't we be the top team? And, you know, for a long time, uh, I don't remember the exact, I'm not into that, but I mean, I remember that we were the number one team for their company out of six mm-hmm. to the point where my sales leader took people off of my team and <laughs> said, I need to strengthen the other teams and your quota is going up, even though you're losing your top performers. Mm-hmm. And that would make me really mad, yep. right? and more competitive and say, guess what? I'll still be the top dog next year. And mm-hmm. that drove me. Right. And so he played me for that. Cause he, I and looking back, he knew that was the way I was going to be. If mm-hmm. he took it from someone else, they probably would have left. Right. They probably <laughs> would have quit. 
but he saw that I was competitive and wanted to win. Uh, but you know, you still do that being nice, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to be a jerk to be competitive, right? You mm-hmm. don't have to cut people off at the knees. You can be friendly competitive or friendly competition. And yeah. sort of like the whole state of politics today, right? <laughs> I think it's a complete joke that mm-hmm. people can't have conversations anymore. I mean, I don't want to go go political here, but it's the same deal, mm-hmm. right? We're different. You can have conversations. I may want to win. Doesn't mean I hate you. Exactly. Doesn't mean you're stupid. Doesn't mean that you need to die because you believe differently. I just wanted to win because of it feels better to win. That's exactly. all. Exactly. And I think that's very important too, because that makes me think of another one that I won't go down the rabbit hole of. But somebody said is that my opinion is not debatable. I'm like, oh, but shouldn't it be? Like, let's just have everybody's opinion debatable. It's just it's just us having a conversation. It's that we don't know how to have those tough conversations just to get to know each other more. Right. And I think that's the other part about being that competitive. I'm the one that does not let my kid win at Uno. And I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Oh, you've got issues, lady. (laughs) I do. I'm so competitive. I call it, I am 410, so I call it my, my little girl syndrome. Um, so with that, like, I love to win. I can't stand to lose. But in that, what I like of it is that it's a long game. Like winning, you can have quick wins, but in sales and in life and in leadership, yes, there's quick wins, but those long wins have bigger returns on it. And so I love that you said that in a year, at least knowing that it's going to take a year or two years to be able to get back on top, you know, and not being unrealistic and saying, oh, I got this by next quarter, you know, because you can't demand that of people. But that's what people do that are that I know that are competitive. They're like, oh, okay, it worked for me exactly this way. You should do this exactly this way and giving eliminating all their choice and. That is more of that directive of saying what you should do instead of going to here's an invitation or here's a thought. Tell me what you think. How can we how can we do this or how do you see it differently? How do we have a conversation around this? Yeah, that's great. When you when you are talking about you surround yourself with other geniuses, what makes them geniuses? They can contribute back and is really just my I find their strengths and is really what mine is. Yeah. So you see the strengths in other people, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the, the problem with a lot of leaders is that they think everyone's like them, <laughs> right? And well, yeah, I will talk say, to say that for a minute. They sometimes surround themselves with people that are yes men that are like them. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. think of, uh, I mean, do you follow sports at all? Oh, yes. Okay. So you probably heard of Michael Jordan. Hmm. Yes. Uh, he's, he can't coach basketball, right? He can play basketball, but he can't Mm -hmm. coach basketball because people are not like Michael Jordan, Mm -hmm. right? And he had a real problem with that is that he just assumed people were like him, that everyone wanted to be their absolute best, right? And he would go crazy to be the best and went crazy when people did not follow his example 
Mm -hmm. Right. Larry Bird was another one. He just they're not good coaches. A lot of them. It's interesting that the ones who are not great players are better coaches because (laughs) they can relate to the players better. Mm -hmm. The ones who are superstars typically struggle with coaching because they can't relate. They cannot Mm -hmm. relate to bad days, mediocrity, lack of industriousness in practice. And so when you look at sales leaders, typically they come out of sales. I mean, almost 100% of the time they come out of sales. They were a top performer and they have no, they never thought about anyone else. They only thought about themselves. And now they have a team and it's like, yeah, just do it. Just go do it like I did. I mean, Mm -hmm. and expect people to follow. But what you said about the the geniuses is that they have their own strengths. Mm -hmm. So salespeople have their own strengths. We're we're not all alike. I mean, a lot of us are jerks. Let's (laughs) get that out of the way. But in general, there are things, there are traits about us that people like, right? Some Mm -hmm. are great listeners. Some are great storytellers. Some will go the extra mile and pick up their phone at two o'clock in the morning and solve a problem right and others are you know there are different strengths different people do different things so a good leader well shouldn't they recognize those different strengths and praise people and develop those strengths so that they become even better at what they do oh yeah right does that make sense or what's your thought on that yes i love that and that's what um i love we do some work on this and what we say is there's people that typically talk about a problem. There's people that find a problem. There are people that will think about a problem. There are people that will do things about a problem. And in my role, I want to make, and each of these are, are strengths. Some people can do both. But in, in my role, I think about even the people that I have. I have a guy named John. He has in the past, has a past of working for on suicide hotlines. You okay. think man can listen. He's the most empathetic listener and he can, he can hear. Yeah. And you have other ones that can find the problem and they're just very creative in, in ways of addressing problems in ways that I might not think of. I'm typically the doer. I love to get things done. Sure. So finding people that can do everything in those. What I found for my team is that it has made us more, of a greater group together. Yeah. We all have somebody. And so that's what I, I think too with this is you have people that might be better with a certain client comparative to another. And it allows you to, as a leader or even, even at home, it allows you to deploy strengths of your people. Like one of my kids, uh, literally today, we were, me and Bonnie, uh, we were working on an assessment that we were doing and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm overthinking this. I brought my nine-year-old in here and I said, hey, does this make sense? Oh, my goodness. And he's like, uh, I don't know. I was like, okay, what what is mommy saying? And he said it back. I'm like, oh, this is the reason I love you. Like anytime I'm overthinking things, I send it to him for him to simplify. Because he's a thinker. Right. He knows how to say it even at nine years old. Oh, my old. goodness. That's such <laughs> a great, yeah, it's a great story be able to do the work that is needed so those are the things like it doesn't have to just be at work it can also be at home that, that you can infuse the two yeah absolutely the uh it's funny that reminded me of uh, a person that was on my team who was loved to use uh, like five syllable words right <laughs> 
and I, my eyes would glass over and he, you know, he'd take a deep breath and then he would just spew out these ridiculous words. And I said, dude, you need to speak like I'm in third grade. Right. I, and that, if I can understand that as a third grader, then the prospects and clients will be able to understand you, but you're not bright by using huge words, right? Five syllable words does not make you smarter. Nope. Right. It's just it. It tells me you looked up something. <laughs> that that you know it's not anyway. But uh, the the you're, it's proof, right? Mm-hmm. That your nine year olds can help you is just uh, it's beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. I and love I, it. I think that's a part going back to that being too nice or too kind. I hear people like what a lot of times whenever I say my kids are a lot of my editors because. For me, I want it to make it where people can understand it instead of I can give you huge words. I'm I'm a nerd for <laughs> nerd for nouns, I heard, right? Yes, I'm a nerd for nouns. <laughs> for anything, people, places, and things, I can nerd out with you and how they work. And I can go deep in theory from a PhD level um to all the way. But the thing is, is why? Yeah. Why whenever you can make it simple? Um, somebody told me this the other day and it was um, Winston Churchill. And what he said is that it's slothful to use too many words in essence. And he was talking about how people would give him tons of work and he's like, just narrow it down and give me, give me one thing that's, that helps me understand like an executive, mm-hmm. uh, overview of it. Right. And that's the thing that I feel like is a lot of times we can talk and talk and talk, but what if we can just narrow it down Keep it simple. The kiss method. Yeah. Keep it simple, silly. Like, let's just do that. And, and for me, my strength, I found my genius is my tongue. <laughs> it's the one that can interpret my huge words and make it where it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, and here's the interesting thing too that I think is cool that what you talked about is did you find where you're like, whenever you saw somebody with a strength, did you ever pair them up like as somebody that might? Oh my God, yes. And seeing how right? they both can grow. Oh my goodness, and it's so funny because sales is such a uh, uh, lone wolf mentality, right? I mean, so you know, the top performers are typically lone wolves. Frequently, they're not mm-hmm. collaborators in general. But you know, when you bring on a new person. And you ask the lone wolf to show the new person the ropes, you know, they don't want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, look, they're messing with me. I, I don't have time for this. I, I'm a top producer. But if you say, look, whatever they find, you get to work and make some money, then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I basically have a prospector. Or someone that's going to help me do errands or get rid of the stuff I don't want to do. And yes, I'll be happy to help that person. So I, I had to find what why a lone wolf would want to work with others. But then the benefit of that is a newer person gets a lot of experience pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I loved it. And, you know, just walking in, not coming from sales leadership and just saying, well, I'm hiring people. They don't know what the heck they're doing. I got these people that do know what the heck they're doing. Hmm. Maybe I can put them together. I don't know if anyone's thought of this, but you know, the criticism I got, right? So I remember uh, 
someone saying, well, you know, Harry's got this thing going where he's got people pairing up together. So now you've got two people doing the work of one person. So we're paying two people to do the work of one, right? So I said, well, get over it, right? <laughs> well, and let's just say the one person who was doing half the job or a third of the job wouldn't be doing any of the job if he wasn't or she wasn't with someone with the experience. They would be discouraged. They'd go to the mall, they'd go to a movie. You know, and these are all the stories of salespeople that just go to Starbucks and hang out all day and get on Facebook because they don't, you know, they don't have what they need, which is a story to tell, confidence, you know, wins. And they get all that by working with tenured people. So that's, yeah, I'm a huge believer in that. Sounds um, like you are too. Yes. Yes, I am. I think it's very important, especially, especially in the first two years in the growth phase of anybody doing anything. So so to bring yeah. it all back around. Um, Is that possible? Liz, we're going to try it. All right. Well, <laughs> no. you have the skills. Bring the nine-year-old in. I want to yes. hear what he would say. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so uh, for people that are apologizing for being too nice, what would you tell them? Yeah, so I, I'd get into it a little bit with them and say as long as you are kind as long as you know when to be you know to put an end if someone was taking advantage of you as long as you know that line and you can put it to a stop then people are just going to love you for being mm -hmm. kind right and it's okay and you can be successful you can be a winner you can be a top dog um but you gotta you can't be a person that just gets walked over you're right. Mm -hmm. You got to have spine. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm I'm here in your corner. If you need me, I'd be happy to give you some tips on it. But yeah, it's what I live through. And uh, I love it. Right. It's helping others and being competitive don't have to be a contradiction. Yes. And I think it's the one thing that I, I love. It's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> It's like you get such negativity as is to walk in to see somebody just be nice and kind and to care. Wow. So I appreciate you for that, Harry. And for anybody that's listening to this and wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? Well, the uh, best thing is uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so Harry Spate. Um, and then also our Facebook group with my co-host of Lead, Sell, Grow. So we have a Lead, Sell, Grow Facebook group. Um, and you'll find fellow salespeople. We try to give valuable guidance there. My co-host, Eric Conovalov. So that is probably the best place. And uh, this has been a real blast. Emily, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. I love your stories. Um, you know, they, I, there was a point where I actually got a chill about the person on the suicide line. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's to me is, you know, you're a godsend if you can do that type of work. <laughs> and uh, if you know, I don't know anyone that does that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, someone that does that to me, it's like hats off to those people because yeah, the world needs them. Right. Amen to that. Yeah. And, and that person specifically, John, he is a godsend. Like yeah. his ability to listen and, and you know, how much I can grow from, like we were speaking a little bit from his tenure and his learning and his lessons and that and how much it has grown me as a human. So it's That's been a right. just like this conversation it has been such a blessing. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that will listen 
and have an awesome and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.